Hello, this is Abby at Recovery Radio, and today I'd like to talk to you about personal empowerment. Here at Recovery Radio, we take the power you give us through your generous donations and combine them with others in a way that multiplies their effect. When someone listens to our podcast, they receive that power in an entirely different form, one that empowers them to practice their recovery. Please help us empower people by going to recoveryradio.net right now and clicking the donate button. Okay. <clears throat> Morning, everybody. My name's Sandy, and I'm an alcoholic. And um, I've really had a wonderful weekend. This has been a well-planned and well-organized, and I've enjoyed all the speakers and meeting the people here. <clears throat> and um, the topic this morning is experiencing God in AA. <clears throat> No, I'm okay. It's just that happens sometimes. (laughs) And the reason I think this topic is so important is in the final analysis, the glue that holds AA together is a power greater than ourselves. And the guidance for taking actions in our own personal lives and the lives of our groups and our entire fellowship should come from spiritual guidance. When uh, Clancy was going through the history of AA with all those seconds and inches, you could just see that there was some master force at work that was going to have this thing take place in spite of all the people who wanted to move it in different directions until it took form and became the miracle that Alcoholics Anonymous is. And so if there are two things that uh, we have, two difficulties that we encounter when we're new, one is to admit we're an alcoholic in the first place. I mean, we struggled with that. It was so obvious. I think it was probably obvious to us. And then we said, well, I don't want it to be obvious, so I'll make it unobvious. I actually am confused. I'm not sure if I'm an alcoholic. You know, I've only gotten 10 DWIs, been in six nut wars, but there really isn't sufficient evidence to, for a rational person to conclude that they're an alcoholic. So we, we can see the struggle that goes on. I've actually heard people, and uh, I really believe it, they say I became an alcoholic after I joined AA. You know, they had about six months sobriety. They realized they'd been an alcoholic for 20 years. And it's almost like I just became one. That's the power of um, our self-centeredness to not want to give up this story that we're not an alcoholic. And we know that if we give up that story, there's going to have to be a lot of changes that are going to take place. A lot. And um, it's just a struggle that is just amazing. And as Bill writes in the uh, 12 and 12, as he moves into step two, he goes, having reduced us to a state of absolute helplessness, you now tell us, we're going to have to deal with this God thing. And um, 
it's just like the one-two punch. And, and a lot of us fight it tooth and nail. All right, I'm an alcoholic, but I don't want anything to do. And um, in the 12 and 12, he talks about all the different categories of us that arrive here. We've with the alcoholics full of faith and reeking of alcohol. We got alcoholics taking pledges. We got alcoholics who can't stand the word God, drives them crazy. I went five years without saying God. I said higher power. I very carefully said higher power. You weren't going to trap me in to going back to that 10-year-old idea of God that I got when I was in the Catholic Church. You were not going to trick me into saying that and send me back to that. You can see how the mind works. And, of course, the intellectually self-sufficient. Oh, I... <laughs> the human mind is the highest power there is. We know the answers to everything. Science can now explain everything without God, so we certainly don't need to be de dealing in that. We can get along without that. So there's just, plus the human ego itself does not want to be displaced as the center of everything. It just doesn't. So there's a tremendous struggle that goes on in making this transition that is required in our second and third steps. And as uh, speakers have said, we can call it a power greater than ourselves. Well, it's a higher power, spirit of the universe. But we secretly know that they're talking about God. <laughs> they're trying to hide it. They're talking about all these other alleged synonyms. But we know there's something going on in here. And they're secretly talking about And, and of course, when we hear that word, we... Um, use our old ideas, and react to them. And I often tell new people who are uncomfortable with the word, I go, the reason you're uncomfortable with the word is you're deciding for me what I mean when I use it. And you don't like your explanation. It upsets you greatly. That is called creating your own problem. You make up a definition and hate it and accuse me of saying that definition. But you never asked me what I meant when I said the word. You decided for me and it upset you greatly. And you wished I would stop saying it. <laughs> you follow what I'm saying? God, I wish you'd stop bringing up that Catholic God that I learned in 1938. Well, I'm not bringing that up. Well, it sounds like you're bringing it up because that's what I feel when you say it. So you can see the residual of all these old ideas are here. And we have to come to grips with the fact that this is not a religion. It's a spiritual program. And there's a tremendous difference. And the difference is that we in the fellowship, have no explanation whatsoever for the word. You cannot find a definition anywhere. You cannot find a history. You can't find out when this 2,000 years ago, 5,000 years ago. There's none of that. So what do we have here? 
We have a request that you keep an open mind. That's all we that's all we have. I know you have a lot of other ideas. I know you have preconceived notions. I know you don't want this. I know you don't want that. But would you be willing to put those on the table and keep an open mind? Because if you don't, you're going to die of alcoholism. And besides, you can look around, and that's why we go to meetings, so that we can identify. And we hear speaker after speaker tell a story that is just like ours. They were just as hopeless as we were. And it ended and transformed when they decided to have an open mind on this higher power issue. So we have a lot of... Um, things we can hear here to help us get an open mind. And the process takes us to a point where something happens and we have an experience and we are able to do and feel and experience things that we were never able to do before. And almost every single person, when that happens, they say to themselves, so this is the God they're talking about. So no one proved anything. You just happened to have, because you were willing to follow directions, an experience that cannot be explained in any other terms. So in a, in, in a literal sense, the word God in AA is only experienced, and it's experienced by the individual. You've either had that experience or you haven't. When you do have it, everything changes. Before you have it, you're waiting. And after you have it, you must have some understanding. So you can see there's no way of understanding. I sometimes think the steps should say, God as we experience him, because it would more accurately reflect what's going on. You can't understand something if you haven't experienced it, because all we can talk about is our experience. And we share our experience, strength, and hope, our experience at being transformed. And then we can describe what we did. We made amends. We did this. All the things that look like they wouldn't lead to this. There's no way to look at those steps and go, oh, yeah, I could see. Boy, right in the middle of making amends, you suddenly hit a transformation. It's clear as a bell right here. I just look at those steps. <laughs> Anybody can see that. So we, I, I think I took the steps because there was nothing else to do. There was nowhere else to go. There was no alternative. There was no one saying, we have a non-spiritual program for you that'll um, solve this problem of alcoholism. And we're having a convention with 20,000 happy, sober people. I've never seen any convention other than AA conventions where we can go and see with our own eyes the results of doing these steps and having this experience. As a matter of fact, I would say the experience itself is why we listen to our sponsors. Because when we're in their presence, we feel an energy that attracts us 
And we have this saying, I want what they have. It isn't I want their Cadillac, or I wish I had their job, or I wish I had this. There was there's something intangible beyond all those things that we have this sense that we want. And I think um, Bill felt that when Ebby was sitting there. It wasn't what Ebby was saying, you know, I found religion, I did it. Bill's belittling all that. But he couldn't get over the fact that Ebby looked so different. He could not explain to himself in human terms what had happened to his drinking buddy here who was worse off than he was. He couldn't explain it to himself. That caused his mind to be open to the idea later on of saying the prayer that started AA. And whenever I think about this, if you're new, that Clancy mentioned it, I call it the prayer that started AA. You won't find many religions with a prayer that goes like this. If there is a God, I really need some help here. I don't think you'll see too many churches where they start out, okay, let's pray together now. If there is a God up there, I'd like the collections to be a little bigger. <laughs> and so we see that this is um, a program of desperation and that Circumstances in our lives made us so desperate that we might even say that prayer. If there is a God, I could really use some help because nothing else can help me. I'm going down for the last count. And then something happens. And when it does happen, I, I look back on the start of AA when that moment took place, not only was there this relief from the alcoholism and the obsession, but I think built in there was an indestructible force to go out and um, somehow cause all the rest of the alcoholics in the world to have the same experience. And uh, that drive never diminished. I mean, I just look at Bill's life with um, getting evicted from the townhouse in Brooklyn and living with 75 different AA families and borrowing cars and living on an allowance. Well, Bill, we can give you 20 more dollars for this week. Never stopping to get this program started. He didn't know how, what it was going to be. He just knew that somehow he had to keep this thing going for his own sake and for the sake of um, the alcoholics around the world. And so it gets back to this energy. And you feel it in groups. You feel it with people that you meet in AA. And it's, I remember that uh, there were just two or three people. And then, of course, when I met Chuck Chamberlain, I was just overpowered. And I had about, um, I'm trying to think when that was, I had about 10 years. But there was still something unbelievable about him. And before he hardly said any words at all, I just said, I want, I want what he has. I, he didn't even know what it was that I wanted. But boy, was I right. He really did have 
what I call the ultimate gift. And while I'm talking about him, I do, he simplified things for me. And anything I say, if it's at odds with what your sponsor says, stay with your sponsor. That you're just hearing my perspective um, after 46 years. This is what I, <laughs> well, this is what I see. It doesn't mean that I'm right and somebody else is wrong. It means this is what I see today when I open my eyes. This spiritual search does exactly the same thing that four or five drinks does. It changes our perception of what's going around us and of ourselves. When we open our eyes and look around, that's the world that we react to. That's your reality. You open your eyes and you look around. And if you look around and the world is intimidating and threatening and you're very uncomfortable in it, you start getting tight. You start having that spring tighten up that Clancy was talking about. And the idea of taking a drink gets stronger and stronger. And when you take it, and now you open your eyes after three drinks, you go, now that's more like it. What's more like it? Nothing changed. It's the same group of people. It's the same city that you're walking around in. No, this is more like it. I like this world. This, I li look at the people. Look how great they are. Look over here. Look at that dog walking by. Aren't dogs beautiful? Look at the flowers. Look at this. That was there all along. You are now looking at it with different eyes. That's why Chuck called it a new pair of glasses. There is, we need a power that can transform our perception so that we are comfortable and feel the presence of something that is causing this change in perception. And, um, uh, there's a, there's a very poor quality DVD of Chuck giving a non-AA talk to, um, university. And I don't know the background of why he was there, whether the students wanted to hear him or not. But all of a sudden he's thrust in their midst going to give them a spiritual talk. And I don't know if they thought it was a great idea or what the teachers told them they had to stay there until he finished. So he had to get their attention. And he made a statement that I think is very interesting. He said, um, this is a wonderful university and you're going to learn a lot here. If you pay attention, you're going to learn a lot. You're going to learn an amazing number of things. But there's one thing you're not going to learn here. You're not going to learn how to live at peace with yourself. And the room started to pay attention because <laughs> there was nobody in the room that was living at peace with themselves. And they knew there weren't any courses in the student guide about how to live at peace with yourself. They knew they could do it when they got down to the fraternity. <laughs> and so he had a reason for the audience to listen. We don't need that in AA. Alcohol gave us the reason to listen. We're all, we all became open-minded, not because of our intellectual curiosity. We became tired of vomiting. 
and getting arrested. And so we became open to something. And as new people, newcomers come here and they're open to something, the something that we give them has to stay consistent. We have one problem and one message. We don't need five messages, five different ways of working this. We have the 12 steps, and that's the deal. And we have two books that explain it, the big book and the 12 and 12, and it's our responsibility to pass on the very same message that can transform the next alcoholic. And Chuck used to say that there's only one problem that includes all problems, one solution that includes all solutions. And the problem is conscious separation from God. Meaning that when you open your eyes, the way you see it, you're separate from everybody. There's you in your own little identity, and then there's everything else. He had that dot I talked about the other night. Outside of the entire universe is me. And I exist over there, and it's lonely, and I don't like it, but it's mine. And I'm totally in charge of this little area that's separate from the entire universe. And boy, it's a tough place in there. And he said that there's only one solution that includes all solutions, and that's conscious contact with God. So that when I open my eyes, I see God's world. And so... In the 10th step, it says we don't, we're not cured of alcoholism. We have a daily reprieve contingent on our perception, which is our spiritual condition. As long as we maintain that spiritual condition, when we open our eyes, we'll see God's world. If we don't maintain that, we're going to open up and see us separate. We're alone again. We're overpowered again. Power is really a wonderful explanation of our disease. We're powerless. And unless we find our power greater than ourselves, there's no way to recover from alcoholism. It's just impossible. And I found that um, at some point... I decided to become a God seeker. And it's a wonderful word, seeking. God couldn't would if he were sought. We read that at the end of chapter 5 every time. And then we have sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact. As we improve our conscious contact, we improve our perception. And things start looking good again. And then it starts to fade. It's like the picture is fading and we have to get the connection. I tell people in the beginning where it says this, we, there was nothing left for us to do but pick up the kit of spiritual tools that were laid at our feet. And we have to remember that these are power tools. They have to be plugged in. They, they, they don't work when you do, they aren't plugged in to a power greater than ourselves. Look at all the steps. Look at six and seven. We want God to remove, having the humility to plug it in. Instead of, I know how to get, I can do this, I can do that. And um, when I talk about seeking, I always like to use this little story, and that is um, 
the first time I heard the word, I didn't know what it meant. I was real little, and we were in grammar school, and they came up with a game called hide-and-seek. And, seek. and uh, uh, you all know the game. Somebody hides. Mary hides somewhere. You, you close your eyes. and say, okay, go find Mary. And I'm, oh, uh, yeah, that's a good game. So I run around, look in the closet, look around behind the desk, look behind the tree, look around. You know, it's kind of exciting for about two minutes. Then I'm starting going, who the hell cares about Mary? I'm tired, you know. It's gotta be a, it's gotta be a better game than this. Mary! For crop, come on, come on, I'm bored. So, I was not into hide and seek, but I'd play it for a couple of minutes and then. Now the next level of seeking was Easter. I forget how old we were when my mother announced the Easter Bunny is coming. I'm going, Easter Bunny? Hey, what the hell is this? This is great. (laughs) So there's going to be roughly five pounds of chocolate in that basket, hidden somewhere in the house. And when I give the signal, you go find it. Seek it. Uh, this was a higher level of seeking than Mary. I'm going to tell you that right now. It's five pounds of chocolate. So ready, get set. I'm upstairs. I'm over here. I'm over there. But after 15 minutes, uh, can you give me a hint? Am I warm? Is this room? And, it, you know, if it got up to around 30 minutes, screw the chocolate. I mean... I don't want to keep doing this. Where the hell is it? Where is the chocolate? I'm tired. But it was definitely way ahead of hide and seek because the prize was so big. And then I guess I was 16 or so, and our um, I came home, and my parents were all upset. Our golden retriever had run away. And he, my father said, he ran in the woods over there, and we've been calling him, we've driven around, we've done all that. Now you're talking about a much higher level of seeking when your dog is missing. And I can remember coming home from school, no, nope, there's no one, nothing like that. Boy, I'd be over by those woods, calling his name, driving around. Then I went off to college. I'd come home after about six months. Guess where I went? I went over by those woods. You never know. He could come out any second. He could still be there. I could be away for five years and just make a run by that area. You never know. He might be showing up. Now that is a pretty high level of seeking. Now where is God on this level of seeking in our lives? Is he anywhere near the level of... Um, a lost dog. And if we look at it, we have to admit, maybe it's not quite that high. But what could be more important to seek after than our own creator? So at this point, we're now talking about steps 11. It's an individual adventure. It is up to you and no one else. It's not your group. It's not a group activity. Spiritual life at this point is an individual adventure. Our libraries are full of books. 
There's great teachers. Whatever comes to you, follow it. Go and become a seeker. And see what kind of rewards you get. I had more changes between year 39 and 41 than the rest of my time in AA. And I can't explain it. I just know that there were things that happened that were remarkable and that it was all a result of seeking and looking for additional ways to um, see things differently. And so we're back to the beginning again. We're back to... I don't feel like changing my mind about this higher power. And it's a, um, I think it's the thing that destroys people's programs. It is a, uh, to give lip service to this part of the program. It's possible to um, develop a tolerance for pain and exist in a sober fashion without drinking with the spring tightening up and go on for quite a while. But that is not the purpose of Alcoholics Anonymous. If, if someone says the purpose of Alcoholics Anonymous is sobriety, I would disagree with them 100%. Sobriety is done by not drinking. That's how you do it. You just don't drink. One day at a time, don't drink. Those are the instructions when we're in the beginning. But we can't make an entire program of that so that we have 15 years of not drinking. So sobriety really isn't the point of AA. The point of it is a spiritual awakening. This is the one result that is promised us in the uh, 12th step. Has he had a spiritual awakening and the result of these steps? Not drinking is equivalent of breathing. You could say the purpose of life is to breathe. Because if you don't breathe, you won't stay alive. So obviously, that's it. So you go, well, okay. And just sort of <laughs> breathe. I think after a week or so, you can go, man, this is, there's got to be more to life than this. And there's more to life than not drinking. That's my point of, in AA. Sobriety is necessary to stay alive, but we only are staying alive so that we can work the steps. Ernest Kurtz had a description of AA that I really think is as good as any that I've read. Now, if you haven't read him, he's one of the best historians that uh, has come along to, give, to read about AA's history. And he entitled his, uh, it was a PhD for, he was at Harvard doing a PhD and he went, he got permission to do one on AA and then he went to New York and they gave him access to all the records. So it's the only history I know of where they had access to all the records and it wasn't done by the fellowship. So he finds fault here and there and it's a little more objective and that's why I like it so much. And he later found out that he, himself was an alcoholic and became a member. Um, this is what he had to say. He said, in an almost magical manner, Alcoholics Anonymous has been able to provide to its religious and non-religious members alike a view of the universe and their place in it, which is both comforting and 
and exciting. In doing so, it borrowed from religion everything that is, no, it, it um, borrowed from religion everything that is um, exciting and uniting, while politely declining everything that is self-serving and conflicting. It might be called the spiritual heist of the century. <laughs> and it did it all unconsciously without realizing it. In other words, it just happened. And now we can look back on it. It just happened. And if you were looking for a description of AA, I think happening is not a bad one. Well, how the heck did Hey get started? I don't know. It just happened. <laughs> there was some guy seeing a psychiatrist in Switzerland, and then there was another guy over here. I don't know. It just it just happened, and it kept happening until you got here. And if we look back and go, well, how did you get here? I don't know. A cop came over. Time for you to go to AA. <laughs> Only he sent you to jail first, and then you had to see the judge, and then and finally, okay, I'll go to AA. So that's how you got here. You just happened to get here. And then how'd you get you? I just happened to get Bill from my sponsor. And then this happened, and that happened. So AA is still happening. And there's no plan. There's no uh, buddy mapping out exactly how it's going to grow, where it's going to grow. It just continues to happen. And I think it'll continue to happen as long as the author of the big picture stays in charge. And the human ego doesn't try to come in and take his place and come up with better ideas than we could get from spiritual guidance. And uh, that's why it's so important to discuss this word and to get the hurdle that we have over with so you can become part of this thing. If you're a newcomer, the word God is a three-letter word that rhymes with odd and has no meaning for you whatsoever as far as AA is concerned. The one thing you can learn is, it certainly is important to a lot of other people, because they keep seem to talk about it all the time. And, and so you just have to keep an open mind about this word. Follow the guidance until something happens. And what, so you're going, what does it look like? Well, that's, I forget who read it, and they were talking about um, the absolute certainty that our Creator has opened our hearts and lives in a way that is indeed miraculous and has commenced to do for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. So when it happens, there's no doubt about it. There's an absolute certainty that something has taken place in our lives. And it may be soon or it may be later. 
in the 12th uh, step in the 12 and 12, Bill talks about, he's now he's talking about the spiritual awakening, he's talking about all these things, and then he suddenly reflects on, well, there's, there still may be a man who um, hasn't got the spiritual angle yet and still calls his home group his higher power. But we know from the experience of many years that he will soon come to know and love God and call him by name. And we go, how do you know that? I don't know, it just happens. It just happens. He was, uh, he stayed a God hater for five years and then one day he came in and he said, well, I've decided to change my mind. What changed your mind? I don't know, it just happened. I just, I just, it just happened. I, I think the best description of a spiritual awakening, there's a lot of good um, explanations for it in the appendix and in the 12 and 12 and the uh, 11th step. But I would submit my favorite candidate for describing a spiritual awakening is read at almost every AA meeting. And it starts with, we're going to be amazed before we're halfway through. And if you go back next time or take that book down and you look at those verbs in the promises, you will see that they aren't psychological. They're miraculous. You're going to be amazed. This is um, what a magician tells you. Folks, I'm going to do something here today that's going to amaze you. You are going to feel a new freedom and a new happiness. That's not your average promise. That, that's something you might have said, you've never had a drink before? Come here. You're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. <laughs> because we're about to put a power inside of your life that you've never experienced to this degree. And then it starts in fear of people, economic insecurity. Yes, we're going to talk it through and I'll come to. No, it's just going to leave you. Just going to leave me. Yeah. You know that problem with self-centered, self-seeking and all that? It's just going to slip away. Slip away is not a psychological term. My concern about myself and all this, it's going to slip away. Oh, yeah, it's just going to disappear. Out the back, Jack. <laughs> Fifty ways to have character defects leave. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Gone, gone. No, well, how does that happen? It just happens. It just happens. And then it says, this is my sentence for a spiritual awakening. We suddenly realize that God is the one. Nobody told us that. Nobody told us to think that. Nobody told us to come up with that thought. But it happened. And you suddenly went, these are not coincidences. That just are happening. Oh, my God. So that's it. So that's what those people are talking about. You now begin to have an understanding of this word 
that came directly out of an experience, a realization. I suddenly realized this all has to do with God's been behind this whole thing. Wow. Did anybody tell you that? No. They just told you to follow the steps. They didn't tell you when it's going to happen. Wherever. And it says later on. Sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. There's the sudden kind and the educational variety. But when they do happen, it happens suddenly. It may take a couple of years. And then the final verb, they will always materialize. Now, how about that one? Out of thin air, <laughs> nothing in my hands, boom. You'll have a new pair of glasses. And you look around, and you're amazed. That is your understanding of God. It only occurs in your experience. That's why this is a, spirit, a spiritual program, not a religious program. We only experience this. And to me, that just it cleared it up for me. That I'll, oh, I see, if I follow these things, I will have an experience, and that will explain everything to me. And so you've either had the experience or you haven't. Are you going to keep trying? Are you going to keep an open mind or not? Sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly, but it always will happen. So when I sponsor people, the first meeting I sit down and I said, okay, here's the deal. I'm going to call all the shots. You just follow the actions that I give you each week. I personally guarantee you'll have a spiritual awakening. Want to go ahead? <laughs> and I've never had it not happen. Unless somebody quits. So I know I don't feel like trying anymore. I don't feel like doing that. So why do I feel confident in doing that? Because I believe the book. I believe that they, when they wrote that, they said, this will happen. It will always materialize. And it happens to those of us who give it a try and keep giving it a try. I think I said earlier when I was talking, anyone can prove that AA doesn't work. Just sit there like this. No, 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 I'm not going to do that. No, men's, I don't like a man. Don't like God. Don't like prayer. Don't like this. Stay for six months and go out and tell your friends you tried AA for six months and it doesn't work. The seekers, that's what we were designed to do. We were designed to come home again, to come back from our great journey of self-centeredness. My, my own personal definition of sanity and insanity is very simple. Insanity is self-centered. Sanity is God-centered. How do you become unself-centered? You become God-centered. How else could you become unself-centered? Stand over here? I'll move over here. I won't be self-centered over here. And I have new people say that to me. They say, I, I see it. Remember, Nancy talks about hitting our head. I am self-centered. Holy cow. You know, when you finally, when it registers and you realize, what a jerk I've been all these years. Wow. And the next sentence is, I'm going to do something about that. <laughs> you are going to do something about being self-centered? Yes. Yes. 
I'm going to fix self-centeredness. Really? And then we... And the last thing to say about self self in other words, we aren't the center. We aren't the center of the universe any more than the Earth is the center of the solar system. But when the powers that be were told that these astronomers had discovered that there's a big mistake, that all the maps were wrong, and that you, the king, didn't live at the center of the solar system. That was probably the main reason that Earth had to be the center, because I live here. What else would be the center? <laughs> and when he said, well, sorry, but this isn't the center, rather than change, they wanted to kill him so that we could keep the old ideas. Does anybody relate to that? I want to keep my old ideas. I don't want to change my mind about being an alcoholic. I don't want to change my mind about God. I don't want to change my mind about prayer. I don't want to do all these things. That's self-centeredness. I don't want the reality to be different than mine. I think I've refused to pray for a long time out of fear that it would work. And then I'd be wrong because I had bad-mouthed it for a long time. Oh, that's crazy. And um, then when I did try it, I said, I'm not going to tell my sponsor if it works. I don't want to give them the satisfaction of going, well, I told you it's going to work. <laughs> I think uh, now I'm just going to talk about um, AA itself just for a couple of minutes. I really believe that if we as individuals don't keep our understanding of a higher power at the center of our lives and maintain our spiritual condition, that our sobriety is gravely affected, as is our ability to transmit the message to the next alcoholic. Because if we're not transmitting the spiritual energy that creates the miracle, we're passing on half a message. We may pass on some sort of an ability to not drink instead of a spiritual awakening, which would change somebody out of the whole point of the program. And then the group has to stay spiritually centered and be willing to listen to everybody and be willing to sit quietly and allow a loving God to be part of our deliberations. And I think the fellowship has to do the same thing. There was a wonderful talk on the service manual and our whole service structure. And I went back through that thing at a depth that I haven't been, done in a long time. And I was amazed how many times in there Bill went out of his way to say that a loving God is in charge of everything. And to remind the trustees, the delegates, everybody who's involved in that, 
that the key to making this work successfully is to always remember that there's just one ultimate authority that's higher than all of the positions. And that's a loving God as he may express himself throughout the whole fellowship. So, if the human ego comes up with the idea that somehow this central role can be diminished, to me I see it as a terrible threat. The idea that <clears throat> we can somehow get along with less God. It's um, just troubling to me, so I won't say any more about that. <clears throat> I hope if you're new that this <clears throat> didn't come across as some kind of a sermon or some kind of a lecture that you... we're trying to communicate to you that when you were thrust into AA, you were given the greatest gift I think a human being can be given, which is a chance to rise above the normal level of life that human beings are at and actually get glimpses and spend time in the fourth dimension that Bill talks about, where you have this new pair of glasses, where you see things so differently, and where you eagerly embrace helping, helping. Where can I help? What can I do to contribute? What's in it for them? It is such a different perspective. And when you see it, it, it just flows naturally. And uh, for those of you that are new, I just, just hang in there. The greatest gift that can be given to human being is this close if you just keep seeking. And those are actually everything that I had. And I thank everybody for your attention. And um, God bless you all. Thank you. Thank you.